Welcome to Rocktail Hour, an hour's worth of rockin' good time in about 15 minutes with your buddies Tim, Treg, and Brent. We're three old guys that are a testament to the fact that rock and roll keeps you young. In each Rocktail Hour, we bring you our favorite stories behind the greatest rock and roll tunes of all times, and other interesting musings about the music and the rockers who've inspired us over the years. You know, Rocktail Hour is an affiliate of Amazon.com. When you shop on Amazon, it'd be real cool if you would first click on the Amazon.com link on the Rocktail Hour homepage or affiliates page, and then Amazon will kick back a few bucks to the Rocktail Hour to help fund the free podcast. One Amazon product that Rocktail Hour listeners might enjoy is Treg's legal thriller called Until Murder Do Us Part. The ebook is only two ninety nine on Amazon. Today, Treg is going to bring us the great story behind American Woman by The Guess Who. Excellent. Thanks, Tim. Uh, American Woman is the title track from The Guess Who's 1970 album, and it's a great one. Uh, this song is fantastic. It reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100 list, but unfortunately it did not hit in the top 500 of the Rolling Stone, oh, for what no. that's worth. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the band first. Uh, the Guess Who come from Winnipeg, Canada. They went on to become one of the biggest bands in the history of Canadian rock bands. I, I know there's a lot of stiff competition there, but there's some, been some decent bands that have come out of Canada. Rush. Yes, Rush, <laughs> specifically. Exactly. But interestingly, Guess Who achieved a lot of success in the U.S., but they, stayed, but they remained in Canada. They never, moved to, uh, they never moved to the United States like other Canadian bands did. What do you mean by that? They they just didn't take up residency in the U.S. or I think so. Well, it would seem like you'd want to move, you know, where the industry was. Yeah, yeah, where the recording studios are. But maybe they recorded at home. Sure. In the cold. If I had the money, I'd move to L.A. Yeah. <laughs> when the band released their first single in 1965, they were called Chad Allen and the Expressions. Lame. Yeah. <laughs> so. When they released their first single, and it was actually a cover of Shaken All Over by Johnny Kidd and the Pirates. Equally <laughs> so, lame. <laughs> so what they did is they issued it, and on the cover, they put only the words, guess who, with a question mark, because they wanted um, people to think that they were some hot British band. Mm -hmm. And the DJs thought that that was the name of the band, and so it stuck. And mm -hmm. so they became the guess who. Well, let's talk about the song. Uh, I found this to be very fascinating. You know how we've talked in the past about how uh, good songwriters who can write a song in 20 minutes, that it's, it's as a result not only of just their talent, but their preparation. You know, they worked for years and years in order to hone those talents. And then when they find a good riff or a good lyric and they go with it and, you know, they can crank out some great work in mere moments. Well, this is a fascinating story. The band was playing a gig at a, a curling rink in Ontario. <laughs> and Randy Bachman... Like you find anywhere here right. in the States. <laughs> Only in Canada, right? Curling. Yeah. So they Are were there playing... enough seats in a curling rink to have a rock concert? Apparently. <laughs> they were probably sitting on the ice. Yeah. <laughs> so Randy Bachman broke a string on his guitar. He was playing a 1959 Les Paul. And he broke a string. And so, you know, back in those days when you broke a string, they just had to stop playing. And so the band went off stage while uh, Randy replaced the string on his guitar. And he didn't have a techie to come out and tune it for him. And he, he didn't even have a tuner. 
And so he went over to the keyboard and he hit a couple of keys on the keyboard and, and then started tuning his guitar based on that. And uh, he said that uh, as he tuned his guitar, a riff developed. <laughs> and he said something magical happened. And, and this is what he said. I started to play that riff on stage and I looked at the audience who are now milling about and talking amongst themselves and their heads snapped back. Suddenly I realized I'm playing a riff and I don't want to forget. I have to keep playing it. So I stand up and I'm playing this riff and I'm alone on stage. So what happens? The drummer, here's what's happening. Here's this great riff and he comes on stage and he starts playing, you know, starts playing drums to the riff. And then the bassist comes on stage, Jim Cale. He heard the ruckus, what was going on, and so he came out and joined them, starts playing. And then finally, Burton Cummings, the vocalist, comes on stage, and, and he hears it, and uh, he grabs the microphone, and, and Randy Bachman says to him, sing something. <laughs> and so the first words out of his mouth were, American woman, stay away from me. And wow. he went on to improvise the whole song. The whole band did, all together improvising this song based awesome. on a riff. I thought that was totally amazing. Then after the concert's over, you know, they've just created this great piece of music and they didn't want to lose it. They discovered that there was a kid in the audience who was bootlegging the show and he had a, a cassette recorder. They got the cassette tape from him and then from that they were able to recreate the lyrics and the music and that's how it was preserved. Wow. What an amazing moment in time, huh? That's just when you can find a riff and it just it's magical and you know it's good and but when you hear an audience or see an audience and they hear it that's got to be just give you chills unbelievable yeah, yeah exactly was it the da 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 yeah that's that's what I understand yeah mm-hmm. yeah that's a great riff too you know when that song comes on I just crank it it's fantastic it's very simple but it just you can build around it yep o- oftentimes people misinterpret the lyrics you know Americans misinterpret it as some American Pride song, but it's far from it, you know. When you when you think of the lyrics, American woman, get away from me, you know, that's not saying great things about American women, right? So this is what Burton Cummings says about the lyrics. What was on my mind was that girls in the States seemed to get older quicker than our girls, and that made them, well, dangerous. Hmm. He said, when I said American woman, stay away from me, I really meant Canadian women, I prefer you. It was all a happy accident. That's interesting because I always thought it was a, an anti-American talking about the country, you know. And, and back in those times, certainly with Vietnam and the, you know, the American being imperialistic and going over to other countries, and I always thought it was an anti-American talking about the government. Yeah, so absolutely. They're, they're talking about the chicks. <laughs> yeah, it's both. It's actually both. Okay. Yeah. Okay. This is what the basis said, and it's on that same theme about American women versus Canadian women. He said, the popular misconception was that it was a chauvinistic tune, which was anything but the case. The fact was, we came from a very straight-laced, conservative, laid-back country, and all of a sudden, there we were in Chicago, Detroit, New York, all these horrendously large places with their big city problems, and that one particularly grinding tour, it was just a real treat to go home and see the girls we had grown up with. So, it wasn't chauvinist. But it was chauvinistic. (laughs) Interesting. So, in fact, it was also an anti-war song. Randy Bachman said about the anti-war theme of it, We had been touring the States. This was the late 1960s. 
They tried to draft us, send us to Vietnam. We were back in Canada playing in the safety of Canada where the dance is full of draft dodgers who've all left the States. <laughs> but I thought that was also kind of interesting that, you know, here's this Canadian band playing in the United States and <laughs> they tried to draft them to go to Vietnam. Good How stuff. would that work? Literally, they tried to draft That's them? That's what they said, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So they fled to Canada to avoid the U.S. draft when they're Canadians. <laughs> right. That's messed up. <laughs> So the lyrics that are the most anti-war are, I don't want your war machines, I don't want your ghetto scenes. So there was an anti-Vietnam sense to it. So I have a question. Were all those lyrics improvised at that one curling rink, or did they fine-tune it? You know, because when you're just spitting out stuff like that, I mean, did that all pour out? Do you know? You know, I didn't see anything that specifically said how much of the original lyrics made it into the final, but it sounded like almost the whole song was kept very close to what they played, hmm. improvised. Yeah. You know, that reminds me of a, of, a, of the song In the Air Tonight by Phil Collins, that, that was all, the lyrics were all improvised too. That's amazing. And it's very riff driven too. Yeah. Just like this one is. Yeah. I was just going to say the lyrics are great. I mean, I enjoy listening to the song, but they are somewhat simplistic in, in, in the way that they're crafted. And so it, it's, plausible that they could have been improvised at the time. It doesn't seem out of the realm of sure. possibility. It repeats a lot. Yeah. Great when, song. Yeah, when uh, you got a great riff That, and a that great wasn't hook. a derogatory comment about the song, but just an observation about the lyrics. Right. Sometimes the most powerful ly lyrics are the most simple. Yep, I agree. 100%. Well, even despite the anti-Vietnam theme in the song and sort of the anti-American woman uh, sense about the song, the American radio stations still played it quite often. Either they didn't key in on the anti-war part of it or, or they didn't care. You know, the Guess Who had already produced a couple of big hits. Um, I think by this point they had played, they'd already released These Eyes, Laughing, and No Time. And so they were primed to play another big hit by the Guess Who. Well, when you think of the political culture, the radios in their market at that time was the youth, and the youth were pretty anti-war. So I would think that this would appeal to the masses, so to speak, at least to the market that the radios are playing to. Well, the radio stations are always going to play ahead. If they don't, nobody's going to listen to them. Yeah, good point. So if one radio station is going to play it, they're all going to play it. It's like that scene in the movie from uh, Coal Miner's Daughter where she, she goes on the radio and they do an interview and she talks talks about being horny, not understanding what her husband had been saying to her. And they told her they were never going to play the record on their radio station again. And as she walked out, somebody from the radio station said, your record's a hit. It's going to get airtime everywhere. That's funny. <laughs> excellent, excellent. I found this to be fascinating that in, the 19, in 1970, they were so popular that the White House asked them to play on the lawn. So they played for Richard and Pat Nixon. I think their daughter was a big fan, and that might have had something to do with it. Sure. But during this performance, they did not play American Woman because mm. Pat had asked them not to because of the political overtones to sure. it. Sure. Yeah. Kind of funny. And even at the height of their popularity, um, within months of this song hitting number one, Randy Bachman walked away. That's when he quit the band shortly after the song was released and, and they you know hit number one. Because the band's lifestyle didn't jibe with his religious beliefs. He hmm. was a devout member of the LDS Church, and and all the touring and things like that um, just didn't uh, connect with him. And so he 
left the band and started Bachman Turner Overdrive. That's a great band. Yeah, they did. Love them. Yeah. Taking care of business. Yeah. You ain't seen nothing yet? Yep. Yeah. Good stuff. So he went on to have another great career after the Guess Who. Okay, so my mind's blown twice now in what you just told me. I didn't know that that was the Bachman of Bachman Turner Overdrive, and I also didn't know that he quit the band for his religious beliefs and was yeah. a Mormon. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah exactly. What, what happened to the rest of Guess Who? Did they continue? Did they get a replacement? Yeah, they continued for a little while. Mm-hmm. I don't know how long. You know, that their, their best days at that point, I think, were behind them. Mm-hmm. So you said they are not on the top 500 with this song. Right. Wow. How long has it been since we didn't have one on the top 500? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, one, one other thing that I found interesting, when I bought the their album and played American Woman the first time, there was this acoustic intro to it. And I had to go back and look at the cover. And I'm, is this the same song? I thought, what is, what's up with this? There's a minute but of this acoustic intro hmm. where Burton Cummings sings and spells out American, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that was the original album version of the song. But all of the radio stations that played it for years and years cut that part out. It's long enough without it, I guess. And so they, they cut out that acoustic intro. Hmm. Wow, that's but it's kind of Yeah, it's kind of an interesting dichotomy. You know, when you got this this nice sort of soulful uh, intro, and then all of a sudden you just launch into this riff. It's yeah, pretty cool. Pretty heavy. Which may have crafted it in the hit that it was. Had they played it that way on the radio to begin with, maybe it wouldn't have reached its popularity. Yeah. Yeah, radio wants you to jump into the hook as soon as possible. Yeah. So if you got this nice acoustic intro, <laughs> people will turn the channel quickly. Yep, yep. Hmm. Well, one other interesting fact, in 1970, the Guess Who sold more records worldwide than any other band. Wow. wow. I had no idea that they were that huge at that time. I- I've always liked them, but I didn't know that they had that much popular appeal. Yeah, you would have thought the Beatles, the Stones, you know, the Who, I would have never guessed the Guess Who. Yeah, they sold more records worldwide than anyone else. Paul Anka? <laughs> Pat Boone? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think ABBA was on the scene yet, but they were pretty big in the world. Well, thanks, Treg. To our listeners, you can listen to a clip from the song on iTunes by clicking on the album link on the Rocktail Hour website. Please email us at dudes at rocktailhour.com if you think we got it all wrong, if you have an interesting Rocktail Hour of your own, or if you just have a recommendation of a song that you think would be a good subject for the Rocktail Hour. If you think we're just lame, please keep that to yourself. Please follow us on Facebook and Twitter and rate us on iTunes. And until the next Rocktail Hour, rock on. Rock on.